Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Well, it's very good to be with you. I don't know if you can tell by the sound of my voice. I was sick last weekend, recovered Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then got sick again. This is what it's like to be a parent. Just sickness rolls. The sickness just rolls one person to the next, and then finally it hits the first person that it started with, and it just begins again. So, uh, yeah, pray for me, honestly. I, I literally, I, I told Emily, I said, when I left the house today, I said, I have never felt this bad about a sermon before. So, uh, here, we, here we go. Turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Thank God it's him, not me, who's going to minister to your heart, right? I've been, just, I've been just claiming that in my weakness, he is strong. So that's the good news. Isaiah chapter 9 is where we're going to be. And I wanted to make you aware of something. Uh, we, um, I shouldn't say we, because this is really taking the credit. Not me, Lexi Sherm. Lexi, would you stand up just for a minute? Lexi has been putting together sermon guides for every single message. So I think we have a slide for this. Go ahead and put that slide up there. Um, this is just a, a little a screenshot from our website. You'll see this beginning with the Advent series that we have the sermons you can listen to on the right-hand side, and then we have sermon guides. These are activations. Uh, you know, we don't, what, what I realize is that we don't um, change just by getting information in. How many of you guys understand that? It takes an encounter to change. And, and you have beliefs that need to be repented of, but they can only be repented of when you get a new experience with God and you get a new belief. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can say, God, I, I, I'm, I'm so sorry for being anxious. You told me not to worry, but I'm, I'm worrying all the time. How many of you guys understand you're still gonna worry? Because you, even though you got information, you shouldn't, God said, don't worry. You didn't get a new experience, which gave you a new belief that you can trust him. And so then you don't have to worry. Do you understand what I'm saying? So these activations are put together by Lexi with each sermon, and they are designed to take what we're talking about and get it to the heart by you engaging with God through journaling, through prayer, through times of listening, things like that. So um, I, I, this is like a huge effort, and Lexi's doing it every single week. I really encourage you to go check it out on our website, and uh, also I believe it, they come in the newsletter as well. So there you go. It's going to be awesome. Thank you, Lexi, for that. Well, like I said, we're in the season of Advent as a church, and we're looking towards the coming of Christ, and uh, Isaiah 9 is where we're going to be. So go ahead and stand with me for the reading of Scripture. Isaiah 9, chapter 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness 
from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. You know, this is one of the crux prophecies uh, about the person of Jesus. And what Isaiah is doing is he's describing what it will be like when the Savior comes. He's describing what it's going to be like when this child is born. Now, all of this wonderful prophetic moment is juxtaposed to the previous chapter, chapter 8 of Isaiah, which describes life without God's activity and voice. Here's just a little bit of a snippet from that. Next slide. So this is from Isaiah chapter 8. Distressed, this is life without God. Distressed and hungry, they, humans, will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged. And looking upward, will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. This is life without God. Does this look familiar to you when you look out at the earth and you're like, there are people who are living in that for sure. Now, what stands out to me is this line roaming through the land. What does that mean? What that means is that without God, people live without direction. They're just roaming. They're reacting. Oh, shouldn't be there. Oh, can't say that. Oh, they don't like that. So just roaming, just roaming. No direction, no sense of purpose, no sense of meaning, and fearful gloom. Now, our passage is what follows, and it teaches us that the antidote to a wandering life, a life of darkness, is God himself setting up his government. His government. Government? If you think, really? God has a government? Yes, a government. What you have to understand is that this child, this son that is given, Jesus Christ, he enters a very politically fraught time. Do you remember that feeling that you felt in December 2020? Do you remember that? Do you remember how you felt? I remember just thinking, are we going to have a country Like, is this over? You know, all of the institutions that, I'm like, I don't know who to believe. I don't know, like, who is even our president right now? It was scary. It was uncertain. But in Jesus' time, it wasn't just uncertain. There was no question. The culture was over. He's born into a time, he's born into a people group who has been conquered by Rome their sacred spaces have been desecrated. In fact, there's this, uh, this enemy, Antiochus Epiphanes is his name, uh, this, this Roman general who comes into the temple of the Jews in Jerusalem and sacrifices a pig on their altar. If you know anything about the Jewish law, Jews and pigs don't mix. He desecrates purposefully their temple. So Jesus enters a time, the culture is over. Think about what it would mean for your culture to be over, for us to have been conquered by another country uh, and for our, everything to change. I mean, imagine this. Your work hours, they would change. You probably would work a lot more. The food styles would change. There's no more hamburgers. No more blue jeans. Your favorite movies, they've been scrubbed from Netflix. You have to imagine this is, this is what they're going through. And the pain, this is the pain of a continually conquered people. Time and time again, by the Babylonians, by the Assyrians, well, you all the way back to the Egyptians, 
and then now by Rome, they have just been the butt of the world. What would you do? What would you do if that was your reality here? What would happen in you? Well, in the time of Jesus, we, we know of what I call the four responses to political power. This is what, this, these are the four responses uh, to the political power of Rome. And I think that they are actual archetypes for the four common responses to political power in even our day today. The first group were the Essenes, the Essenes. The Essenes were a small group of hyper-religious Jews that because of the Roman oppression, they fled. Anybody want to create a commune? Anybody want to co-op? Want to want to start the farm? Yeah. So this is the Essenes. The Essenes—they're the hyper-religious. They just get out of there, right? They go to a place called Qumran. Uh, some of you probably know of Qumran. That's where we get the Dead Sea Scrolls. When we discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, we discovered them at Qumran, and they were products. The Dead Sea Scrolls were products of the Essenes. So this is a group of Jews, and what did they do? They were hyper-religious. Uh, they were hyper-attentive to the Scripture. So they're constantly, you know, scribing out the Hebrew Bible. They're writing, 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 and that's where we get the Dead Sea Scrolls. So their response to Roman power was get away from the culture it's over, just escape, and let's start the co-op, okay? The second response was a group that you're likely familiar with, uh, the Sadducees. They show up in the Gospels. But what you may not see in the Gospels is that the Sadducees were the group of compromise. So Roman power comes, and what do they do? They were the go-along-to-get-along group, right? They assimilated into Roman culture. In fact, in the Jewish history called uh, Maccabees, here's what's recorded about them. In those days, there appeared in Israel transgressors of the law who seduced many, saying, let us go and make a covenant with the Gentiles all around us. Since we are separated from them, many evils have come upon us. They disguised their circumcision and abandoned the holy covenant. They allied themselves with the Gentiles and sold themselves to wrongdoings. That's the Sadducees. Some of them even sought surgical correction of their circumcision, so think about that, uh, since Hellenized cultures exercised uh, in the nude. So they would, been, would have been exposed just trying to even just participate in the, in the new Roman culture. Okay, I guess this is what we do. I need to kind of cover up down there, right? And they compromise. And because of that, they become elite and they become wealthy because they buy into the Roman culture. The next response is the Pharisees. Uh, The Pharisees get a bad rap, but imagine that you're in their shoes. You're a Jew, your land is occupied by another country, okay, by another nation. What what do you believe? If you're a Jew and, and another nation has conquered you, you go back and you read the prophets. What's happening? God is disciplining us. So what should we do? We should get faithful to the law. We should come back to the rules of God. You need people to be righteous. So what the Pharisees do is they say the law has to take a front and center role in our culture. In fact, they believe that if all of Israel could be faithful to the law for just one day, if every person in Israel was just faithful to the law for one day, the Messiah would come and God would act on their behalf and kick the Romans out of their land. Okay, lastly, the zealots. The zealots. The zealots, uh, their response to Rome was pretty different. The zealots objected to Roman rule violently, violently. And they sought to eradicate Roman rule by targeting Romans and Greeks. They would actually storm Jewish neighborhoods and they would kill those who they considered apostate or collaborators who would not join with their cause. They were clearly enemies of the Sadducees, right? 
exact opposite end of the spectrum. Justice was their call. We will have justice and we will be the instrument. Okay, so to recap, next slide. These are the responses. Essenes' response, separate, build a commune, get away from it all. Sadducees', Sadducees response, the state has the ability to get a decent life for all. For all, trust in the power of the collective and just watch utopias closer than you think. Pharisees, theocracy now, fight for God in policy. Zealots, fight, riot, loot, burn, disrupt the structure. It's deserved because think of what the powerful have done to us in the past. Now, this is the world Jesus enters. This is where he shows up. And here's what he says. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. He couldn't be more inflammatory. The kingdom? Do you know what's going on? Have you looked around the kingdom? So many Christians today say, you know, don't get political. Don't be political but Jesus is so political. He's so political. See, he's the child with a government on his shoulders. He can't not be political. And Jesus has a fifth way. Out of those four ways, which as I read those, you probably could have placed yourself in one of them, right? Or your tendencies in one of them. Jesus has a fifth way. I want you to imagine, maybe even close your eyes to imagine, I want you to imagine the very beginning of a presidential campaign. Imagine the boardroom, imagine the whiteboard, sticky notes everywhere, maps, strategies, going over data from pollsters, late night pizza, and too many gin and tonics. That is the beginning of a presidential campaign. And then can you imagine that the candidate, this man Jesus of Nazareth, stands up and he says, I have a strategy. I've got a strategy. They're like, what is it? What is it? What's your strategy? And he says, we're going to tell people they need to repent. Huh? Yeah, we're going to tell people that they need to repent to participate in my, in my government. Yeah, see, I have this idea. Let's go for an internal government rather than an external one. See, people are going to have to change their minds in order to get into this government. There's never been a political campaign that has started that way. It's weird, right? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. What? What sort of government do you repent into? What sort of government do you repent into? I'll tell you, an internal government, a government more concerned with your internal world than the external world. See, it's a government that you choose, the kind of government that takes up residence in you rather than residence around you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, what is a government? Because I think we need, to, we need to define this term. What is a government? Well, here's from Merriam-Webster's dictionary. A government is a system of social control under which the right to make laws and the right to enforce them is vested in a particular group in society. Or maybe more simply put, a government is a collective way of life that is kept through law. A government is a collective way of living that is kept through law. 
So maybe you're thinking, that's what Jesus came to bring? Is that really what he came to bring? Well, yeah, the very first words out of Jesus' mouth are, the time has come, repent and believe, the kingdom is at hand. Now, if I were to ask you, how would you share the gospel to an unbeliever? Is that how you would begin? Probably not. You'd probably be like, let me take you down Romans Road. Let's talk about original sin. Let's talk about uh, substitutionary atonement. Let's talk about what the cross means. That's not how Jesus started the gospel. Jesus started the gospel. The kingdom is at hand. The government is here. (laughs) Repent and believe. So Jesus' message, I want you to understand this because I think church in the West has lost sight of this. Jesus' message isn't about how to get to heaven or the nuances of his atonement. Jesus came to get the principles and policies of heaven to become the standard of life that you exist in. He has a government. Jesus came to get the principles and the policies of heaven, the government of heaven, to become the standard of life that you exist in. A government. What does all this mean? You're like, that's not how I describe the gospel. Okay, so what does all this mean? Well, look back down at your Bibles at verse six in Isaiah's prophecy. It says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. I think what this means, this is a little insight. I think what this means is that the character of the child becomes the culture of his kingdom. The character of the child is, it's on his shoulders. The character of the child will become the culture of the government that you are receiving. See, because then Isaiah, what does he do next? He prophesies the character of the child. So look back down. For to us, a child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What I'm saying is that this is the character of the child And if this is the character of the child, this is the experience of his government. When you get the kingdom of God, when you get God's government internally in your life, you're gonna get a mighty counselor. This word in Hebrew uh, has the connotation of of a legal side to it. So almost like a lawyer, you know, you've you've heard a counselor uh, referred to as, or a lawyer referred to as a counselor. That's what he's talking about here. You're gonna get a mighty counselor lawyer in your life, a mighty counselor in your life. Now, why would you need that? Why do humans need that? Why is that a solution? Well, do you feel that incessant voice of guilt in your life? Do you have a nagging that the blood of Abel is speaking a a worse word than the blood of Jesus in your life? Well, in this government, you get a legal representative who will stand between you and judgment and remind you of your innocence. You need a a wonderful counselor. (laughs) How many, how many people have ever called their lawyer wonderful, okay? This is a wonderful counselor. Do you have a father in this life? No. Do you have a, do you have a constant source of encouragement? No. Well, in this kingdom, you're gonna get an everlasting father. What can a dad do for a child when they're at their best? What can a father do for a child when he's at his best? He can do identity creation. This is who you are. You're not that. Don't listen to them. Listen to me. You're this. They can do security and and inspiration. You know, I see this in you. What if you applied yourself that that's who you could be? Look at that. They do encouragement and they aid in stewarding the heart and the mind of a child. 
right? You don't need to worry about that. Don't pay attention to that. Here's what you should be concerned with. You help them steward their heart so when they get older, they have already had, uh, learned how to steward uh, what, is in, what is in them. You know, in God, here's what's being said. With his government, you get a father who does those very same thing, things for you at all hours of the day who will never die and never abandon you. He's an everlasting father. You're gonna get a mighty God in your life. It could seem simple, but what this means is that God is powerful. He has might, which means he can do something about your situation. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, he can actually do something about it. And lastly, you're gonna get a prince of peace. Now, this is cool. The Hebrew word for prince here is sar, S-A-R, sar, which is more often translated commander, captain, or chief. It's a military term. So think of it like this, Jesus, you get this child's government and you're going to get a commander of peace. You're getting the captain of peace in your life. So think about, think about that. Let's put it all together. I'm not going to make you work very hard for it this morning. What is the kingdom of Jesus? What is the kingdom of Jesus? It's an internal relationship with this child, the savior, who will bring about very real and physical things in your life as a result. It's having the king set up his government of legal counsel, fathering the power of God and peace in your life. Why? Because whatever begins in you will be reproduced around you when the heat is turned up. When the heat's turned up, you find out what was in you. And he's going, I want to get my government in you so that when the heat of life is turned up, you become an agent wherever you go, reproducing what is I've put inside you. This is what it means to be made in his image, in case you're wondering. This is what it means to be made in his image. You know, last week we talked about the word there in Hebrew is husalem, God's idol. This is what it means to be God's idol in this world. And this is why Paul can say that the kingdom of God isn't a matter of talk. It's not a matter of philosophy. If your whole relationship with God is a philosophical one, you are missing out on the real powerful government he wants to set up inside you. A real experience of righteousness, of peace, and of joy. That's what he has for you. So here's what I'm I'm here to say to to you this morning. The answer isn't escape. It isn't compromise. It isn't get religious and it isn't violence. The answer is get an internal government of heaven inside you. That is the answer under any government. That is freedom that, that you, will, uh, you, will, you will have no matter what is going on around you. So here's the offer each Christmas. Can you go low? Can you go as low as a baby? <laughs> See, this is why Jesus is difficult. This is why he's difficult. He says, can you be in need? Can you be in need? Can you be in need enough for a government, an internal rule to give up all of your assumptions about how life should work? Can you give up all of your ideas and all of your, what ability you think you have for creating your life? And can you need a baby? And if you can need a baby, you're going to begin to live not just in the kingdom internally, but you're going to begin to produce the kingdom around you.
Now, things are about to get crazy in 2024. Are, are you ready for 2024? <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> you know, we're living in really confusing times. Really, really confusing times. Uh, we're living in a lot of uncertainty. You know, humans can handle almost anything but uncertainty. It's like, give me, give me, as long as I know what the diagnosis is and I know the plan, that is far better than not knowing what's going on. And for most of recent American history, our country has felt really stable. Our country's felt boring, even. <laughs> like, I didn't know that we had not, I, I thought there was just the prep, this is, okay, this, I'm, can you believe that I'm actually the one up here talking to you? I'm about to expose something. I didn't understand the three branches of government until 2017. It's like when things are boring, it's like, well, they'll figure it out. But, but when things are not boring, and when it feels like everybody's coming apart, you're like, I should probably figure out how this whole thing works. <laughs> what is happening? What is happening? I don't know about you, but when you look out at the rifts in our culture, are you just like, okay, I gotta try to wrap my head like, why did they agree with that and they also agree with that? And this camp over here, what is happening? Well, I wanna say this, it's all about God. Our country isn't splitting apart over economic policy, it's splitting apart over those who believe in God and those who do not. It's splitting apart between a state-sponsored religion that says humans are in charge and the other religions of the world that say there's a God and he's in charge. That's the split. That is the split. Times of tension politically, they have this way of exposing what's inside you, don't they? It's fear. It's, oh my gosh, what if? And that fear, what it does is it brings up all of your desire to control. And it reveals your methods for solving problems. And so what we have is we have a lot of people clamoring for the sword in the corner, the sword of government. If we can just control this, we'll make it better. If they, if they get it, it's going to be horrible. And that's the problem for Christians, is that we don't just live in one kingdom. We live in two kingdoms. We live in Caesar's kingdom and we live in God's kingdom. In Caesar, well, under Caesar's government and under God's government. Both Paul in, in Romans chapter 13 and Jesus recognize this repeatedly. And as much as I and maybe you would like to just not be political, you can't get rid of politics without getting rid of people. The root word in politics is polis. In Greek, polis is people. So what I'm saying is, where there are people, there will always be politics. I, gave a, I, I did a, a five-week class called God and Government a number of years ago, like three years ago or so. Uh, you can find it on our website. And um, I basically made this argument that good governments honor the way that God governs. That within Genesis chapter one and chapter two, God gives humans freedoms 
and that good governments uh, promote and protect those freedoms and bad governments violate those freedoms. If you're interested in that, go ahead and check it out. But what I want to say to you this morning is that this is what it means to be Husalem. If you're going to be an idol of God here on earth, you will extend a rule through your life. There is no option to not act. There is no neutrality. You were designed to act. God didn't put you in this world just to sit. He put you in this world to extend a rule, to extend a government. You will act, and you will act in a context. Dare I say, you will act in a polis amongst a people. You're acting and you're doing. From, from literally, I think one of the most radical things you can do to subvert, uh, I think, the enemy's ways with our country is get married. This is literally one of the most radical things you can do is to choose, I'm going to get married. I'm going to get married. That's like the, whenever a young couple in our church gets married, I'm like, you're amazing. You're standing against the tide of pop culture right now, and you're saying, this is who I'm going to be. I'm going to commit my life. I'm going to become an image of Christ in the church here on earth. It's radical. So you're going to act, and you don't have the luxury of it not being political. Every action that you take is political because who's Salem? Idols of God don't have the luxury of washing their hands of the world that they live in. We don't have that luxury. So what do we do? How do we vote? You guys ready for me to tell you how to vote? I'm not going to tell you how to vote. What do we do? Well, I believe that we shine as true humans by living from the inside out. We shine as true humans by living from the inside out. Jesus locates the problem for Israel and the problem for us internally rather than externally. Where you may have thought that the problem was bad policy or corrupt leaders or Marxism or capitalism, Jesus says the problem for humans isn't policy, it's a disordered soul. It's a disordered soul. That's the problem. Jesus seems to believe that the biggest danger to your soul isn't the Romans or the Republicans, or the Democrats, but your own self-righteous tendency to live without needing him. Let me say it one more time. Jesus seems to believe that the biggest danger to your soul isn't the Romans, the Republicans, or Democrats, but your own self-righteous tendency to live without needing him. So what is our political act as Christians? What is our political act as Christians? Your life, when he sets up the government inside you, has an opportunity to reveal a solution. And exposing those solutions is the most important political act we can participate in. When you reveal to your neighbors, to your coworkers, that you are living for eternity, not the short-term physical control of the sort of government, when you're known for that, because honestly, I think sometimes, uh, you know, right, left, whatever, Christians, well-meaning individuals, you, you become known for specific policies. By what you promote, you become known for specific uh, ways of voting. And what I'm saying is that that's fine. Vote. Act. Take responsibility. You're Husalem. But what I'm saying is the most important political contribution you will make to the people around you is exposing that you have an internal government that is living for eternity, not short-term control of the sword of government. And when you do that, that piece, I'm telling you guys, that piece is so rare. 
you will be the rarest of people. When you choose to live in response to God rather than reaction to policy, you become the rarest of humans. You become a cause rather than a reaction. Do you understand what I'm saying? So much of our politics are just reaction, right? If they do that, the world's over. If they stop that, the world's over. And it's this catastrophizing, playing on fear in order to control people. But if you are responding to heaven and you go, each time there's some kind of political tension turned up, 2024, it's gonna happen, just get prepared for it. When you go to God and you go, but what do you think? And what do you say? And give me the courage. Give me the wisdom and discernment to hear you clearly and then give me the courage to stand. When you do that, you're uncontrollable. No amount of fear can control that person. And that is what you were designed for. That is what it means to be who, Salem. Rather than your whole life reacting to this person or that policy, you act and you become a cause. You cause things to happen so that when everybody around you says, all's lost, when the barbarians are at the gate, you respond to the child rather than reacting to people's fears. You go, I have a prince of peace. I have an everlasting father that's doing identity creation in me. I have legal counsel that is, that is uh, reminding me of my righteousness and I have a mighty God who can do something about this. That is what's on offer. If you can go as low as a baby, that's the government. All right, I wanna pray for you. Go ahead and stand. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.